Hello and welcome to A Queer Understanding, weekly conversations about all things queer. We are your hosts, Dr. Angelica Thompson and Akessa Thompson. For more information about the show and to hear more episodes, visit us at aqueerunderstanding.com. Today, we're speaking with Cassie Morris, the founder of the LGBTQ Dignity Project. Cassie was born and raised in Jamaica. At the age of 15, she came out to her family about being a lesbian. In response, they sent her to the pastor so they could pray away what was making her gay. Being in a society where being a member of the LGBTQ community was unacceptable, she started to realize that change was needed. She was a regular volunteer at Jamaica AIDS Support, which was the only organization on the island at the time that focused on issues affecting the LGBTQ community. In her early 20s, she migrated to the United States where she earned her undergraduate degree in construction management while being an advocate for LGBTQ rights. Cassie worked on the 2012 Obama campaign as a member of the LGBTQ outreach team in Houston, Texas. Here she helped to get members of the LGBTQ community registered to vote and get involved in the election process. Under the Dignity Project in 2020, Cassie organized the first countywide pride event in Prince George's County, Maryland. Cassie is a member of several affinity groups which focus on diversity and inclusion. She is the community co-chair for the OUT Network for Comcast Beltway Region and has helped to organize several community partnership events. Cassie works with several organizations in the DMV area that focus on issues affecting the LGBTQ community such as Casa Ruby and LC Ministries. Notably, Cassie is a member of Prince George's County's first state's attorney LGBTQ task force. Cassie also works closely with the homeless LGBTQ community and will continue the fight until they are all treated fairly. In 2021, Cassie was honored to be the first non-Latina woman to receive the Woman on the Move Award from the Latinx History Project. Cassie lives by the philosophy that the brave might not live forever, but the cautious don't live at all. Ambrose Redmoon. Here's our conversation. Cassie, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing great as well. So let's start. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about our listeners, a little bit about yourself. Okay, I am Cassie Morris, and I am originally from Jamaica came to the United States in my early 20s and as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, you know, I'm just so grateful to be able to make a difference in the community. Since I've been here, I have done several advocacy work for the LGBTQ plus community. In 2012, I started out with the Obama campaign as a leader for the young adults and LGBTQIA plus community down in Houston, Texas. And from there, I took my advocacy to another level. And I moved to the DMV area where I started an organization called the LGBTQ Dignity Project, where I focus on uplifting the beauty of the LGBTQ community, especially those of color, through advocacy and making sure that we have a safe space for communication, a safe space to belong, a safe space to be. That's a little bit about me on the advocacy side. On a personal level, as I mentioned earlier on, I'm originally from Jamaica. 
And um, the last child of six, I grew up in a very big family. I came out at the age of 15 in Jamaica. And when I came out, it was very difficult. I was sent to the pastor of my church in the community where I grew up to actually, quote unquote, pray away the gayness. And when I went through that, that chapter of my life, that's when I know that I'm not going to let it hold me down, even though it's hard. I know that once you have an opportunity to do something good in the world, that opportunity was going to be to make a difference in the world. And being in Jamaica as the LGBTQ person, there wasn't much on the island. The only thing was there was jazz. It's Jamaica AIDS support. And I was a part of that organization until I moved here because I know that I was always going to fight for those in my position or those that I'm able to help to come up better. And um, also, a little bit more about my personal life, I am engaged to a beautiful woman who is Dr. Angelica Thompson, who is also the co-founder of the Queer Understanding. Okay, thank you. So you pointed out a couple of things that I want to dig a little bit deeper in. So you said you came out around 15? Yes. So what did that look like? Who did you speak to first and how did you have that conversation? So it wasn't much of a conversation. So what happened, most of all, is that I realized before then that I did not feel, quote unquote, like a young girl my age should feel towards males. And I realized that I'm always looking on the girls in my school. At one point, I was wondering what was wrong with me. There was this one girl at school where I think... I had a little crush on, but I didn't know what it was. I just thought I really liked her as a person. And then I started hearing people talking about, in Jamaica, they call it batty boy, which is gay men, and sodomite, which is lesbian. And they'll talk about, oh, this batty boy and this sodomite and whatever. You. And I was like, and the, the way they describe what those people were, then I realized, that, wait, I'm a part of that too. I was 15 and I remember I was there and I sitting out with, it was my brother, my sister, and some of the people were sitting outside again. And I said to them, I said, I think I, I, think I like girl. And my brother said, what kind of sodomite thing that, that meaning what type of lesbian thing is that? Then he told my mother and my mother told my father, and my father said, I need to leave the house and something is wrong with me. My mother was like, oh, we got to send her to the pastor so they can pray for her because it's wrong. It's the devil. They didn't grow like this. They don't know what it is. <laughs> it, it was very bad at one point when they realized I'm going to the pastor. It was, it was nothing being done about it. I was like, I was able to have friends because they don't want boys in the yard and I'm not supposed to have female friends because I'm gone. So I was not allowed to have friends. I had to be going to the pastor. And then when they realized nothing is changing, my father, he said, he'd rather see my grave than see me. I wasn't allowed to see my little niece. And then my father... He had another family, he had a daughter, and I wasn't allowed to talk to them either because I was going to 
quote unquote corrupt their little mind with my nasty lifestyle. So it was it was rough and then my brother came around, my sister came around, and then started having started meeting people in the community. And I realized that you know what? There are actually way more people of the LGBTQ plus community here in Jamaica. We just don't have a platform. And then someone introduced me to Jamaica AIDS Support, which is an organization on the island that they give it that name to be a little bit more discreet in terms of being harboring people from the LGBTQ plus community. So that was my experience coming out. It was it was hard, but I'm not going to say I'm happy. It happened that way, but I'm also not sad. I don't regret it because I at least have a story and I can at least have sympathy and empathy for those people out there who are struggling because their families turned their back on them. And I will forever always be that person, be that rock, be that voice for those people. That is quite a story, quite an experience that you had. So you said that your sister and your brother came around, meaning they weren't shunning you they weren't ignoring you at what point did your parents come around if at all so my mother started talking to me at one point we didn't talk my father we we didn't talk for years my mother started talking to me probably when I was probably around 19 so from around 15 plus going on 16 to 19 my mother didn't really talk to me she would call me or not again, see if you're okay, but to have a re-conversation. We wouldn't because she wouldn't want to really talk to me. Wait, so your mother wasn't talking to you. Your father said he didn't want to see you. So where exactly were you living? How are you surviving? So at that point, I got a job as as a pastry shop. And when I got that job at the pastry shop, I was 10 at a, one of my mother's cousins, she allowed me to stay with her for a little bit. So I stayed with her for a little bit. And then after that expired, at one, and I thank God I was able to buy a car because at one point I was pretty much homeless in Jamaica. That was one of the lowest points in my life when I didn't really have a place to live. And I was staying at different motels and little places where you can pay for a couple hours a night. So at one point I was staying in places like those. And those places were pretty nasty. So I'd rather stay in my car and on the beach. Thank God Jamaica is an island where it never gets too cold and it never gets too hot. So there's always a beach. There's always people on the beach hanging out. So you have that opportunity to be there. You have a car. People think you got a resource because not everybody have a car. So with that car... I was able to move people on some time, you know, get a comfortable place to sleep every now and again. But it wasn't easy for the first three years from 16, especially because I finished high school at 16. So while I first came, they didn't kick me out. But after I finished high school, I knew I wasn't wanted at home. So when did you come to the U.S.? I was 23. Okay, so before you came to the U.S., you did have some type of repairing to your relationship with your parents both parents or one parent during that time leading up to 19 I had went back to school in Jamaica I went to vocational school where I got you know certificate I was able to get a job in tourism by the time 
before I reached 20 because by 20, I was working, so I was doing better. So my mother, she came around really well. But my father started talking to me when I told him I was coming to the U.S. because he was happy that he didn't have to really see me no more. So it wasn't more, it was a, a sense of, oh, I'm happy for you going more. a sense of, I'm happy because I wouldn't have to see you no more. So being here and... When I first came here, I was going back to Jamaica every six months to work and then come back here for six months. And the relationship my father got now a little bit better, but it still wasn't the best because I still wasn't allowed to go to his house because he had a young daughter and my little niece living with him. There was still that mentality of you're going to corrupt young girls and it's the lifestyle is going to rub off on them. Still that lack of understanding about you being born with your attraction, natural attraction to women, and that that wasn't something that you could influence someone else to be. For them, it was, it's the lifestyle that you can rub off on people. It's, it, for them, but then it wasn't oh, who you are, who you were born in. It's more of you're a freak. You just want to do some freaky stuff. You just want to do all these things. You just, nasty and they don't want you to bring this nastiness to their home but then a little bit after that he started like when I would go back for a relationship gotten better and when I got married in 2013 that was a big problem for my father because when my cousin had called him, he was pissed. He's like, I don't want to talk to none of y'all. That's wrong. Don't call me. He was done. So your mom was more accepting and before you even left Jamaica. But your father was glad that you came because he didn't have to deal. You, you, weren't, really, you weren't really a thing anymore, basically. You weren't his problem. You weren't a presence. You didn't have to hear people talking about you. And then when you decide to get married to a woman, he still wasn't accepting. Oh, that's, he lost it. That's when he was at his lowest point with my sexuality. He was done. He was completely done. He, I didn't talk to him for a year after that because he was like, this madness, he don't want to deal with it. He don't want to hear nothing about it. Is marrying same sex is not a thing in Jamaica at all? No, it's not legal there. I... You cannot marry a woman in Jamaica. As a matter of fact, there's a boogery law in Jamaica, which it says that if two men are caught having sex, they can go to prison. So the, the previous prime minister, Honorable Portia Simpson-Miller, she fought hard to get that law removed, but it was never done. And then she lost the election. And this current prime minister has not done anything to abolish that law. So as of now, it's still a law there, but it's not imposed. Let's go back a little bit. Um, your thoughts of America. I, I hear you saying how Jamaica was not at all accepting as a whole. So what did you think things were going to be like when you came to the U.S.? So be before I came to America, I thought when I came to America, all my problems will be over. But when I came to America, I realized that's not the, that's not exactly so. While there are, gay bars, there are gay clubs, there are places for the LGBTQ plus community to gather safely here. 
it's still a big issue in America. And when, <laughs> you know, it's when I first realized that being a part of the LGBTQ plus community in America was a problem, I was very shocked. And then the more I got into advocacy work and the more work I did with the LGBTQ Dignity Project, I realized that, oh my God, people are suffering and are going through the same thing, especially Black, transgender women in the United States of America. And I realized that there are establishments that decide that we're not going to serve you because you're a part of the community. I'm not going to bake a cake for you because you're an LGBTQ plus individual. I was shocked because I didn't know because back home in Jamaica, they don't show that side of America. What they show is that America is accepting. It don't matter who you are. We're going to love you. We're going to care for you. And when I see all these fights going on, I see the people of the community being murdered, people of the community being raped, these Women have to be doing sex work to survive when these women are more than qualified to get a job just because of how they identify. When I see that you are discriminated in the workplace because you are part of the LGBTQ plus community and all these things, because when I decided to start the LGBTQ plus Dignity Project in Prince George's County, that wasn't by chance. What happened, I always have this idea in my mind. And then two transgender women were killed in the space of a month. And there was nothing really done to show solidarity, to show care, to show love, to show dignity. Nothing for these transgender women. I remember I was at an event and I say, we do more for George Floyd in Prince George's County than we did for these Black women that were killed right here in Prince George's County. Don't get me wrong. I was a big part of the fight for equality when George Floyd was killed. However, when these two transgender women were killed, <laughs> nobody said anything. There was a transgender man down in Florida that was killed during the, the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and those things. And nobody remember Tony McDade, who that was killed by a police officer because he was a Black transgender man. Nobody remember these things. He was killed right in the middle of all of this by a police officer. And when I was at a rally and I said, we need to talk about Tony McDade, somebody told me, this is not the space for that. But I'm like, but that's what we're advocating for. It seems like there's a little bit of a divide between Black rights and LGBTQIA plus members as though the two don't intersect. Because the problem is in the whole fight for equality with the Black Lives Matter and some of those organizations, which I support 100%, is that it's so like a lot of masculinity with a lot of the men that they are so much, oh, we don't want to mix these gay men or these people of the LGBTQ plus community with the solidarity that we're out here trying to be militant and fight for. So there's a lot of work to be done. And that's why I am so thrilled that Dr. Thompson and myself decide that we are going to actually open up this platform, a queer understanding where we can bring people together to talk about, talk about their stories and, all, and talk about what's like in the workplace, what it's like in the community, what it's like 
being a pastor, what it's like being a politician, what it's like just being you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. Where can people find a little bit more information out about the Dignity Project? Okay, so the Dignity Project, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at LGBTQ Dignity Project. You can email us at lgbtqdignity at gmail.com. The type of people that should be calling, emailing, looking us up is is people that are from the community, allies, anyone that want to learn more. If you need resources, if you need to be pointed in the right direction where you can get some resources, just reach out to us. We're here for you. We are. We have no boundaries on who we will help. If you need help, you're part of community or not. If you're an ally, if you want to know how you can get involved with the Dignity Project, if you want to know how you can help the community, just reach out to us and let us know. And we're going to be working closely with a queer understanding to make sure not only are we getting out the word, but we are in the community doing the work as well. We have a track record of breaking down walls and we're going to continue breaking down walls until everyone is equal in the United States of America and around the world. Wow. Thank you so much, Kathy, for taking the time to come and share your story and talk about the Dignity Project. I look forward to hearing from you again. Okay, thank you. You have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to A Queer Understanding. We hope you heard something that resonated with or inspired you. Join us next week right here at A Queer Understanding. And as always, live your truth and be unapologetically you.